This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is a Business Radio special. Marijuana. Canna Business. A look at the marijuana industry. Here's your host, John Barquette. Then you're all right with me. Hello and welcome to Canna Business, a look at the marijuana industry. Our two-hour special here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm John Barquette, and today we're bringing you special programming. For the next two hours, we're going to take a look at the current and future state of the marijuana industry. According to a recent Pew Research Center survey, about 6 in 10 Americans support marijuana legalization. That's double what it was in 2000, and popular belief is that the legal cannabis industry is poised for explosive growth. Today we'll speak with a variety of experts and cover a range of topics about the industry, including the legal landscape, policy barriers, investing in cannabis, medical marijuana, and how to market a product whose legal future has so much uncertainty. In the last segment of our program, we're going to talk about marketing marijuana. I'm thrilled to introduce Ricardo Baca, a veteran journalist and thought leader in the legal cannabis space. He's also the founder of Grasslands, a content strategy firm. I'd also like to introduce Elizabeth Hogan, Vice President of Brands for Willie Nelson's GCH, Inc. Uh, Ricardo, welcome to the show. Thanks, much. And Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, Ricardo, I want to start with you. Tell us about your background in the marijuana industry and how you came to found Grasslands. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I came to this industry completely by surprise, like so many others. Uh, but back in 2013, the editors of the Denver Post appointed me as the newspaper's first cannabis editor, and I started a standalone news vertical called The Cannabist that really brought a journalistic lens to this important beat, uh, because previous to that, it had primarily been you know, the activists at High Times and other news sites covering it, uh, and the journalists ultimately in the mainstream repeating a lot of prohibitionist uh, propaganda uh, and so what we wanted to do was bring a modern fact and science-based lens to this uh, this new uh, legal, newly legal industry, and that's what the cannabis was and what we did at the Denver Post for more than three years. And after I left there, I founded a PR agency called Grasslands, and we represent businesses in highly regulated industries, including cannabis and hemp. Well, so how do companies differentiate themselves in, in this industry, I guess, I'm asking that question in two ways, one from uh, each other, and the other is in front of regulators and other people who are going to make these crucial decisions. It sounds like a firm like yours has a, has a huge role to play here. Yeah, you know, right now we're really, I, I've always known that this is going to go in three stages. You have legalization, uh, you have normalization, and then commercialization. And, and really now it really is about that differentiation uh, from your competitor and what makes you stand out to everybody. So I'll start on the competitor front. You know, how are these brands doing it? It's really about um, best practices, Uh, you know, GMPs, SOPs, making sure that you're operating like any other standard top-tier business in any other field, especially agriculture, because this is a plant that we're talking about. So how is your cannabis or hemp being grown? Uh, Hemp is a great 
part of this conversation, you know, uh, because a lot of substandard companies are sourcing their CBD or their hemp from overseas, whereas uh, some of the more top producers and the brands that are doing it right are sourcing that hemp from American farms where the regulations are more strict in terms of growing this and then extracting the CBD. So that's really important. And I think, you know, what the regulators are looking for is is that business experience and that acumen, the professionalism. And, and really, it's fun. It's been fun the last few years, especially to see some of the players get into this industry that really know how to practice responsible farming. Um, and, and so that's what regulators are looking at uh, when they're distributing licenses. They're looking at people who are going to put out the best, most reliable and consistent and safest product because, you know, there's still a lot of propaganda out there that uh, we have to get past in this conversation. But um, they're looking at the people who are doing it right. And those are the people who will still be here doing it in this industry for decades to come. Let's go over to Elizabeth for a second. So, Elizabeth, you work at GCH Inc., which, as I understand, is Willie Nelson's brand. Tell us about the company and how you got involved. Uh, that's right. We founded GCH in 2014 along with Willie Nelson. Um, and, and back then, uh, <laughs> the mission was simple. It was to figure out how best to put his reputation um, for being an advocate for this plant. Uh, to work in what Ricardo outlined, the legalization, normalization, and commercialization of cannabis into essentially a consumer packaged goods industry. Um, So we got started with that as our mission, and our first move um, we launched in 2016 with the brand Willie's Reserve, um, and that's the brand that we created to address the opportunity in the adult-use regulated uh, cannabis market. So in other words, recreational use. Tell me about the actual product. I get the brand, but what, what are the products that you offer? Sure. In the Willie's Reserve uh, uh, brand, we offer flour, which is hand-selected from growers in each of the states where we operate. Um, and we also offer uh, ready-roll joints, uh, vape pens, so concentrates in a cartridge for vaporizing, and a full line of edible products inspired by Willie's wife's experiments in the kitchen over the years. Really? Um, So the Willie's Reserve brand includes uh, products for a whole bunch of different uh, use cases and need states that that folks are bringing to the cannabis category. So when you think about the challenges of marketing products like this, what comes to mind? Well, the biggest challenge, I think, for any cannabis marketer is – staying inside of what is permitted by regulations while still being able to make a compelling proposition and a real connection with consumers. Uh, I think with good reason, there are a lot of prohibitions around what cannabis companies can do to sell themselves. And this is because it's a new industry. We want to make sure that we don't fall into some of the traps that have uh, <laughs> that we've seen in the past from uh, other uh, highly regulated industries or other adult markets. Um, and so there are a lot of rules about what you can say and where you can say things about your cannabis products and brands. And so that's definitely uh, a, a big challenge. But then I think the other is um, – is really understanding what the consumer is looking for when they come for products. Because as much as inside the industry we want to talk about production and legalization and regulation, for, for most shoppers, you know, they're coming in thinking about a plan that, that, where they want something special or maybe a, a concern they've had that they're looking to address with cannabis 
or maybe just a curiosity. Um, and so I think remembering that at the end of the day, this is a consumable, and people are shopping um, in, in somewhat the same way they might shop for other consumables um, creates, uh, you know, you asked about challenges. I would say this really is where we create an opportunity um, to meet those needs and, and introduce people to products in a way that will have a lasting um, you know, meaningful impact on their lives. Ricardo, I want to switch back to you. Tell us how marketing strategies have evolved now. I, tell, tell us, I guess, where we are in the three stages that you described, um, and, and how, how does that affect marketing? And do you feel like people need to be ready to switch on a dime if the country moves from one stage to the next? Uh, sure. You know, we're, we're definitely mid-normalization and going into commercialization. And it's different stages in different states. And then now Canada, of course, is in the mix since their sales started up there in October of last year. Um, but, you know, I mean, <clears throat> some of the biggest challenges facing this world, especially as it relates to marketers like me, is really the mainstream, the most important platforms are just completely unavailable to these brands for the most part. You know, uh, when we look at sponsoring content or pushing ads on Google or Facebook, Instagram, these channels, for the most part, are not open to cannabis brands, especially plant-touching entities. And so this is certainly something that they're working on, um, and they're lobbying at these massive corporations to try and make change. But until some sort of closer move to federal legalization happens, those channels are, are just not realistic, which means that agencies like Grasslands have to get creative and we have to really take a content-centered approach to make sure that we're finding these potential customers through SEO and SEM and digital search, uh, really intelligent PR. Of course, earned media is everything, especially when you don't have access to those huge advertising channels. And, uh, you know, as we approach the, the full-on commercializ commercialization of this industry, which a lot of people refer to as big marijuana, you know, eventually we are going to have access to those channels, but which brands are going to stick out in the meantime? And then even when those channels do open up, these brands that stick out and invest in content now, they will, they will reap the rewards in years and decades to come from a, from a forward-looking content strategy that was out ahead of everybody else. Ricardo, you mentioned that f folks like Facebook or Instagram aren't uh, allowing cannabis promotion. But what if you are a, a Facebook user or uh, a, a so uh, influencer? Excuse me, on Instagram, can can you be promoting? I mean, can, could there be paid influencers promoting these products uh, on Instagram right now? You know, you do see that regularly. In fact, uh, we my agency just hosted. Uh, an influencer panel uh, about a month ago at the Denver Press Club here, here in Colorado. Um, and, and that definitely exists. But at the si same time, what you're seeing is a lot of these influencers are having their accounts entirely shut down or shadow banned by the social networks themselves. Wow. Um, this federal illegality really throws a massive wrench into play on every level, whether you're talking about traditional advertising or kind of advertising 2.0, this product placement of Instagram influencers. So, you know, it's really the unknown and what you end up on the influencer front is you end up seeing a lot of these individuals uh, develop massive followings of sometimes tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And then that account is completely yanked because the regulators at Instagram don't like something that they see and they pull it and that's that. And, you know, that's in some cases ruining people's livelihoods. Elizabeth, do you have any experience in this space? I mean, what creative ways are you employing to get the word out? 
With Willie's Reserve and our uh, hemp-derived CBD brand, Willie's Remedy, we're fortunate because we are part of Willie Nelson's, uh, you know, artistic community. And so when we think, we're lucky that when we think about influencers, we're looking at um, some of the people who are part of his world or part of the music world naturally gravitating to the, to the product and then being able to talk about and share them. And that from the beginning, that's been part of um, how we've planned to grow the brand and how we've planned to market it. And it's been great to see that that has played out and, and worked and is meaningful for the, for the artists who we work with. Um, I will say that we run into hiccups with that. Um, there are a few sort of uh, uh, things you cannot do on Instagram or Facebook. So we have run into a couple of hiccups with that. Um, for instance, if, if uh, an influencer or a friend of our brand uh, inadvertently lists the price or says something like, come buy it at this dispensary, um, we've had some of those posts removed. And we are seeing, um, you know, Instagram is keeping an eye on what people are saying about it. Uh, however, we know that community-based support for these products is working. We, um, it's, it's true whether it's influencers or whether it's a trusted friend. Um, what we hear again and again from our teams out in the field is that folks are trying these products based on a recommendation from a friend or from someone they've, you know, a friend of theirs who they've seen on the internet choosing this product. Um, so the the peer-to-peer the, the -peer recommendation is working. I think influencer marketing is working, um, but but none of these is going to be um, a, a, a fail-proof strategy on its own. We, we've just got a couple minutes left, Elizabeth. I want to ask you, tell me, tell me, give me one story about someone uh, happening to be in the Nelson kitchen at the right time and, and learning about a product that has come out that was inspired in that room. So, Willie uh, has a ranch just outside of Austin. Um, often, if musicians are working with him on a project, they'll visit him at his place out there. Uh, just, just a couple of months ago, they had a visitor who um, is currently going through a sober period, and he's given up drinking, and he's given up pot, and he's given up a bunch of products. Um, but while he was out at Willie's Ranch, he was introduced to the CBD-infused coffee that we've recently started selling. Okay. Uh, and... and um, at Willie's wife, Annie, prepared a cup for him, and they sat down and enjoyed a cup of coffee, and she gave him an impromptu kitchen table lesson about the endocannabinoid system, <laughs> the fact that all of us <laughs> have this inside of us waiting to be activated, awakened, so that it can um, help regulate those other systems. And so that's a case where a musician who's very much a part of the um, – uh, the Willie's world and was formerly a part of a partying world was able to authentically discover a product um, just, you know, through the, the normal course of business <laughs> for, for his day. Um, and that's been really great. We've had similar experiences backstage. We often serve that coffee or, or, or other Willie's reserve treats um, no. backstage. <laughs> and, and artists uh, definitely appreciate both Willie's extension of the hospitality but also the, the um, opportunity to like touch and feel and try and talk about some of these products that have certainly been known for a long time, um, but but not available in a dependable and reliable way. Elizabeth Hogan of GCH, Ricardo Baca of Grasslands, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks of so course. much for having me. 
I'm John Barquette, and you're listening to Canna Business, a look at the marijuana industry here on Sirius XM 132. Like us, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sirius XM Business Radio, and follow us on Twitter at BizRadio132. This is Business Radio. Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.